0: Uh, So we're going to be in Romans. uh, Tonight, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. As you can see, as you're turning there, we are going to be in our current series called Righteousness Revealed. And uh, tonight's title of this service, if you're interested in those kinds of things, it says, God decides and man abides. Yeah, I know I rhymed it. It's good. Um, So what we want to do is just kind of make a kind of a recap from what we were looking at. And I just want to point out to you something that's very special about this particular chapter. You know, sometimes we can get to Romans chapter 8 or Romans chapter 12 and we can go, oh man, this is the good stuff. This is where the Lord, you know, uh, really puts out some really great lines and, and Paul is just like on fire. But then we get to chapter 9 and we go, "Uh, I don't really understand it. It's Israel. But what's beautiful about chapter 9 is it does something very special about the Old Testament. See, Paul is answering some questions about a nation who received the blessing of the Lord. Uh, and has chosen not to follow through with the blessing when they received Jesus Christ. You know, most of Israel, the rabbis and the Pharisees, rejected Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going to go on to go, well, if these are the people of God, how do we deal with them? How do we deal with a, a group of people that God has selected but has rejected him? And so I just want to put in your mind as we move forward, because this is a very uh, tough uh, subject to go through. I want you to just have a, like a launch point. Everything that we're going to be talking about is going to have two different perspectives of the same situation. The first perspective is we're going to have is sometimes we can look up from here to heaven and see that we have chosen the Lord. So from an earthly perspective, we have seen the evidence that God is good. And we have seen the evidence that we need a Messiah, that we are sinful creatures. And we need the Lord to take a hold of our soul. And so we choose the Lord. But from a heavenly perspective, the Lord looks down and in his omnipotent, omniscient presence, what he can do is see your whole life and he can choose you as well. And so that can be a little bit of a difficult concept, thinking about two different people selecting each other at the same time. But as you're going to see, we're going to be walking through this chapter. Paul is very aware of all these questions that might pop up and he's going to answer them. So if you guys can, just a gentle reminder before we go into Romans chapter 9, I want you to see what Paul is going to be preaching out of. There's a heart that he has for his people. And he's in anguish and he's in heartbreak. And I want you to see why he's in anguish and heartbreak. I want you to see what the Lord had spoken to his people when he was walking them, you know, out of Egypt into the promised land. He says in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, he said, "'The Lord bless you and keep you. "'The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. "'The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.'" I just want to remind you that as a uh, father over our, our church and over our, our lives, this is the kind of God that had formed the nation of Israel. Just think about it, No other nation had been formed by the hands of God except for Israel. And this is a nation that would receive all the blessings. Understand that what you're reading right now is a Jewish book. Most of the authors in here are Jews. Jesus Christ was a Jew. Uh, He would be carrying on in a lot of Hebrew traditions, correct? But out of that, there would be a people that we would receive all the blessings and kindness and joy and the promises of the Lord and the starting point that he chose was specifically Israel. But not everybody inside of Israel would receive all of the blessings that God would pour out, would they? No, you think about it. How many disciples did Jesus call? He called 12 disciples to walk with him, but he didn't call the whole nation. There were certain people that God would call and they would respond. He would call them by name and they would respond. But then there was other people. Think of the rich young ruler, right? He was, oh, Jesus, I love you. I love your sermons. Everything about you is great. And he said, I want to I be with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus saw that there was an issue with the man. He said, I, I think I can perceive inside of you that you are locked up in, in wealth. You're locked up in tangible things. And so he said to him, why don't you sell all your stuff and follow me? And God's not asking us to be poor, but he saw who the guy's real God was. It was his stuff. And the man wouldn't do it. So did everybody receive the blessing? No. So you can see that there is a heartache inside of Paul to say, here we are, the nation of Israel. We are the nation that God has chosen we have received all the blessings, we have received the word, we've received the prophets, and yet we have people that reject and that broke his heart. I want you to hear that voice that comes out of that blessing. Look at verse 9. I'll start chapter 9 verse 1. He says, "I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it is through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart." for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. So Paul opens this chapter, like I said, with absolute heartbreak, and he had a heartbreak over his countrymen. He loved his land. He loved his people. You see, I understand Paul came from a uh, prestigious position of being a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee. He lived like a Jew. Would, some people would say he was the ultimate Jew, right? And he celebrated everything that was good about Judaism. And someone would put it even in these particular words. If you love your country, you love your religion, he, some would say he was a true patriot. And this is what sent him into anguish. But I want you to see how he was in anguish. It was the God of Israel that had sent the Savior to Israel and they had rejected him. Look at Paul's reaction. He didn't condemn them. Look at the end of verse three and going into four. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. It's a very shocking statement to me. Um, You know, sometimes I could just be, in the parking lot of Winn-Dixie. And if somebody parks in my parking spot, I'm like, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? Does he know I parked there? I mean, quickly, my love for people can go, uh, with a a, minor inconvenience, right? But look at Paul, look at what he's saying. He's saying, I have such a heart. I share the heart. Really what he's saying is I share the heart of Jesus Christ, Messiah. I don't want to see my people fall by the wayside. I don't want to see my people in hell. I don't care about their selfish reasons. I don't care about what they think that they know. If it was up to me, I would be cut off from the Lord. And we know that that challenges our very notion of grace, right? Because it was Jesus Christ who did that. But think about inside of this. Paul could never actually lay down his life for the people of Israel. Only Jesus could do that. So it would never come to that. But what he was saying is, I would trade positions with them if it would mean that they would reach salvation. And I just was challenged by that because it was such a posture of love to lay down your life for somebody that rejects Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ that you love. How about somebody that is condemned? How about rejecting, or how about laying down your life for somebody who makes you feel very uncomfortable? As a Christian, maybe as an American, maybe just as a person driving around Winn-Dixie parking lot. This is you looking at and saying, you know what? Maybe I have to challenge myself of what it means to be a true lover of my brethren in this position of grace, but a place of grace that is built out of compassion. Look at the continuation in verse four. It says, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Paul's gonna lay out the case of who Israel is. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all forever. Praise and amen. That's a very, very strong case about uh, God's selection of Israel and who they are. Look at verse 6. It is not as though God's word had failed, though. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. I'm going to say that to you one more time. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel verse 7, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And so you can see what Paul is saying. Here is a group of people, you know, the world today is chasing the divine. You understand that? Like everybody's looking for a way into the divine. What we understand, um, I saw a really weird like news report in Africa, where people are trying to, to take drugs to see their ancestors and, and, and to get it, commune with them. Uh, we see in other places, people will fast for long periods of time. Down in South America, there's these communes where college kids from America are going there and they're going to these sweat lodges and fasting just so they can hope to get a glimpse of God. And yet Paul is making this particular case. Why are my people of Israel, why are the people of God, why are the people of the book looking so hard for righteousness when he is coming to you? Righteousness himself isn't something that you achieve. Righteousness is a person who has come to you to make you righteous. And out of that, he's saying, look, Israel had everything. They had an adopted father. No other nation had the word of God except for Israel. No other nation had the prophets and the patriarchs, the law, the covenants, the promises. The temple of God of the Old Testament was in Israel. And so they saw the glory of God in a way that no other nation did, right? So how could a nation so blessed by God reject God? self-righteousness. When we move Jesus out of the center of our life and move ourselves into the center of our lives, things quickly become out of whack. And then you know who becomes Lord over all? We do. But I can tell you something, and this is a very strong case. We make terrible gods. i gonna let you know something. I read the instructions on the popcorn last night and I still burnt it. <laughs> and yet I think I'm in a position to tell God how to run the universe. I tripped, no joke, uh, I was uh, over um, by the post office, you know, over by Main Street, and I tripped over a, uh, like, a parking divider. I saw it coming. It's painted yellow. And I tripped. And you know, when I was tripped, I was in the middle of a prayer telling God what I think he should do for my, in my life. And I just pictured God going, well, you know, I, at least I didn't trip over a parking divider. <laughs> I saw that coming. You don't see anything coming, Joey. Will you let me lead? And I say, yes, Lord, because I have to move out of self-righteousness, I have to move into God-righteousness. And just to think about this, just because you were born into Christianity, you could say this way, there's nobody actually born in Christianity. But if just because you come to church doesn't make you the church. If you're born in a Christian household doesn't make you Christian. Just because you are near the blessing doesn't mean you received the blessing. And Paul is insisting this over and over again. He's saying, being near the Lord is not the same as loving the Lord. You can't just know about God. God has to be your Lord and master. That means Lord and master over everything. That means he's in control of your very life, your soul, your being, and everything that comes along with it. And then out of that, you receive the blessing. And the blessing isn't all the stuff. The blessing is him. There's a throne in your heart and only one of two people can sit on it. Either it's you or God. God. And that is the issue that is at hand here. Look at verse 8. We're going to continue that. It says, in other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet, Before the twins were born or had anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Verse 14, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? That's going to be the question that pops up, right? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16, it says, It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's, what? Mercy. mercy. That's the that's the very center of the chapter right there. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to hardened. And so we God and, and, and Paul are making a very strong case because we can make that d- decision really quick. Well, if God selected me, and if God selected me to be the kind of person like Pharaoh, then how is that fair to me? And, and we remember, we want to go back to the very beginning. The perspective that we have is we can look up and select God just as much as God can look down and select us. And in there, there's a connection in the relationship. Uh, we'll walk it back through these three different examples that Paul gives. So even Isaac, he said, God poured his mercy into Abraham's second, second son. Remember who his first son was? It was Ishmael. Ishmael was born out of man's work. Abraham and, and, and Sarah got the word that they were going to have a child at a very late age. And, you know, it was not very possible for Sarah and uh, Abraham to have a child. And so they got impatient, waiting on God. So they took matters in their own hand and Sarah said to Abraham, go sleep with your, my handmaiden and then we'll have a child that way. She's of a childbearing age. Let's do this. And then Ishmael was born, but that was man's work. I'm going to put it in perspective for you. That was man being at the center. That was man working in his selfish righteousness and not letting the Lord lead and not letting the Lord guide. But when Abraham listened, Abraham and Sarah had a child in their hundred. Like he was hundred, she was 90, right? So that's crazy right there. But this you no know, this, it would not have taken place if it wasn't by the Spirit. And so the older works of the flesh had to give way to the younger works of the Spirit. Most of us, I want to put this in perspective, there's like a layering. Remember, we, you know, we like to talk about food. There's a lasagna here. God's going to go with layers with us, and we're going to hit a different layer. Here's the different layer. When you were born, you were probably born into sin. Not everybody here was born and went to church. Some of you gave your heart to the Lord at a young age, or you gave your heart to the Lord at an older age, right? But before you knew God, you were working in your flesh. And then you knew God, and then you received God, and God became your Lord and Master. And now the new one, the new reborn you, is now ruling, right? And what are you doing? Now you're working out of your spirit. You're doing things that you don't normally do. Let me just give you a case in point. Um, you might trust the Lord and not listen to the doctor. Not to say that you wouldn't want to follow the doctor's rules, but you would say, I'm sorry, I I hear what you're saying, doctor. I'm going to take everything you told me to take, but me and my God are going to convene and we're going to see what the supernatural has to say to the natural. Or you could say, you know what? Um, The Bible says that I probably should tithe, so I'm going to go ahead and tithe. And so I'm going to watch what the Spirit does with my 90% as I give 10% to the Lord versus what I could do with 100%. Because out of that, there's an overflow when I am obedient to the Lord and I enter into his will and I enter into obedience and follow him. He does some things when I step out in faith. And so what he's saying right here in this particular place is that we used to be a person of the flesh. And now as a person of the promise, we are now moving into the spirit. And how do we know that we're moving the spirit? Because we had to receive Jesus Christ in the spirit first time, by mercy. None of us have earned our way to heaven. None of us have knocked on the door of heaven and said, have you seen how good I've been doing at church? Have you seen my giving statement? Have you seen on how many mission trips? No, no, none of us. What we're going to say is, have you seen what the Lord has done in my life? And so that's what he's saying in Isaac. Now look at Jacob. Jacob gave his promise to one of Rebecca's two twins, and he rejected them before they were born. And you can go, wow, that's really, really intense that he would uh, know that or do that or maybe even make that choice for a baby that wasn't born. And I just want to remind you, what we're reading in here is actually a quotation from Malachi when he says he loved Jacob but hated Esau. Just, you know, God richly blessed Esau in his life. Uh, Esau was one of the richest men at that time. But eventually the children of Esau, would get away from working in the spirit of the Lord and started doing for themselves, and they became pagans, right? So in their flesh, they moved away from God. And Jacob was no better. So you guys understand, it wasn't like Jacob was like this perfect child and Esau was this fruit loop. It wasn't like that. Jacob was a little bit of a, of a piece of work himself, was he not? His name even meant deceiver. And All he did is go around and deceive people. And it wasn't until he received God's mercy that he got his name changed to Israel, which means God's blessed one. And God made a covenant with him inside of compassion and mercy, not because Jacob had anything great in him. The selection came this way. God selected Jacob. Jacob selected God. And it all took place in a thing called mercy, because Jacob could have got what he deserved, but he didn't. He got mercy instead And then he became Israel because he received the blessing. And so you could see how the Lord could look at you and he could make this advance. Now, let's move to Pharaoh, which is a totally different example, right? Do you remember um, when we were were doing through the book of Exodus, several times God and Moses came to Pharaoh after laying out the plagues and gave him many off-ramps to make the right decision, right? And Pharaoh just kept going. About five separate times, Pharaoh just kept, nope, nope. The people of Israel stay here. These are my slaves. And God would hit them with another plague, right? And Moses would come back and go, how about now? How about now? A lot of times would be, you know, five times. And we go, man, I really hope that the Lord is very, very gentle with me. I would say about five times getting hit in the face with plagues is a lot of good times. But if you are the people of Israel and you are stuck in captivity, you might be looking at your watch and looking to heavens and like, can we speed this thing up? We've been in captivity long enough. So you can see that the Lord is working in Pharaoh's life. He gave him many chances. He was very slow. He was very gentle with Pharaoh, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. So what did the Lord do? He went ahead and completely petrified it, but not before giving him a chance. And that's what he's saying here is, I raised Pharaoh up to be, look what he says here, I raised raised Pharaoh up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed on all the earth. What was the purpose of Pharaoh having a hard heart? Well, initially it was his own pride. It was his own self-righteousness. But in the end, God used that pride and that self-righteousness to exemplify, look, nobody can withstand me, not one. And I will keep, take back the children of Israel because I've called them by name. And so as just as much as I p- force my power onto you, Pharaoh, I forced my, my love and, and kindness onto the people of Israel, and I march them to the promised land. So no one can snatch you out of the hand of God. That's how we have that confidence in our life, do we not? Because we could look at Pharaoh, we could look at Satan and go, no one can snatch us out of the hand of the Lord. For his power is as great as his love. And because his love is so great, he will never let us go. And so that way, we don't have confidence in ourselves. Who do we have confidence in? Jesus Christ. Continuing on in verse 19, he says, one of you will say to me, like, I love, I love Paul. Before you can even challenge him, he's writing in the letter. Before you email me back, guys, let me answer what you're going to say. He says, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? End of story, right? Shall what is form say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common uses? Verse 22. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with a great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance the glory? Even us whom he called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So Paul is so keenly perceptive and aware of what's gonna pop up in your head. Well, maybe I'm evil because God made me that way. You know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a strong question. Maybe that person's so great because God made them that way but that's not actually the thing that God would actually be participating in this. He's like, you still have free will. You still have an ability to make a choice. You still have the evidence that God is good. And I will let you know, none of that, uh, all of that can be true, but you not receive it. And I'm gonna put it in perspective for you. Um, When I was dating Jackie, my beautiful wife, and I would say, I have a lot of evidence that this woman is gonna be a great wife. Strong evidence that she's gonna be amazing but I don't actually live it out. I don't actually receive it until I become her husband. So that means I have to take a step towards her in covenant and then receive the covenant. And then I will let you know something. Just back it up with a Bible verse. Jackie did more than I could possibly imagine. So the the evidence was there and then she blew it out of the water, right? She just completely did a home run. And that's just as a person that she is. Imagine God, The depths of God. This is where we move in our life. God is selecting you. God is calling you by name, and you have to understand that when he calls you by name, he is working on you. So you cannot say to God, your judgment is off. I am a broken piece of pottery. He'd be like, I know that. That's why I sent Jesus. Hello, are you paying attention? I'm here to do the restoration. I'm here to do the repair. And I would let you know this. This is a very strong place for us, that when you think about God's foreknowledge of our life, um, just as we looked at Pharaoh's life, that nothing can stop God in his wrath, think about this nothing can stop God in his love. Understand this today that if you're dealing with a lot and you don't feel like a very good Christian, understand that Jesus Christ is dealing with today, tomorrow, and forever. So if you are operating in God's will today, right now, and you are trying and receiving, the word of the Lord, I just want you to know it's a very comforting thought about how God is working in the short term and the long term. If God is sitting in heaven and he can see your whole life and he knows what he's gonna do and he can shape you and he has the patience to walk you through this life to make you look like him in the end, if you would let the potter's hand come down to the lump of clay and let him work, what could he do? You have to be careful how we judge not only ourselves, but each other. That's why you can see, like, if we go back to Romans chapter 8, we'll put it on the screen. Look at this verse that was laid out for us before we even got to chapter 9. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Um, I'm just going to stop here real quick before we go a little bit further in this verse. And I want you to see what this could look like in a person's life. Um, me, myself, um, you guys know some of my testimony. Um, my parents got a divorce. Uh, we got the news on Christmas Eve when I was 16 years old. What a, what a Christmas gift, right? Uh, they're getting a divorce. Like, you couldn't have waited like a week or something? And so we got that Christmas gift. And then I went into a tailspin. And you guys know I gave my life over to drugs and bad living. And I did a number on myself, and I almost died about twice. Right? I lost my breath. I was turning blue. And I heard the Lord call me out of that. He said, I didn't make you for this. And I didn't restore you and redeem you for this. Come follow me. And I did but I want you to understand something. I can look at that moment and go, why did God let this bad thing happen to my life? And why did God allow me to be weak enough to take these drugs? I started throwing everything at God, right? And none of it became very clear that God works all things together as good. God did not want me to choose that lifestyle. But let me show you what the Lord did with his hands on the potter's wheel and the lump of clay. I can walk into a high school and look somebody in the eye and say, I know exactly where you're at. And I can tell you what kind of emptiness that you have in your heart. And I know how you're trying to medicate it and it won't work. There's only one solution. There's only one cure. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he has mercy on your soul. And he loves you. And he didn't come into this world to condemn you. So drop everything and run to the one who's pursuing you. And he is calling you by name. And they go, how do I know? I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you. I'm the message. Look, if we look at the beginning of that verse, let's we'll go to our second slide here. It says, Look where it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So you have to understand where you are looking. You might be on earth looking up, and you may not see what heaven sees. And so the Lord is looking down at you and going, I cannot wait. I don't know if the Lord does this. I don't know if he gets like all excited and goes, I cannot wait to release you into a ministry when I'm done with you, right? But you have to understand that you've been called to a purpose, But look at the next part. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I was trying to commit slow suicide with drugs. And Jesus was like, hold up. Don't, nope. let's not go there. I got another job for you. I got something different from you. I'm going to turn you into the billboard of all of my mercy and hope. How could you even do that, Jesus? Look at me, I'm a wreck. And he goes, exactly. When they see you, they're only gonna see me because I'm gonna be the part of rescue. I'm gonna be the part of hope. And when people look at you and they go, Well, yeah. If he could take care of that guy, he could definitely take care of me. I mean, this is gonna be a no-brainer. So we have to also be careful when we're doing this, how we judge other people. And this is the quick switch that we can do. Think about Paul. Who was Paul before He was Saul. You could have been in Israel at that time. And they're like, there's no way. There's no way. Jesus is going to have to kill this guy. And Jesus is like, no way. When I get a hold of him, I'm going to change not only Israel. I'm not going to only change the Mediterranean. We're sitting here 2,000 years later reading the book, praising the name of Jesus Christ because of the work that God did in Paul's life. And that's what he's doing. He's specifically transforming all of us. And we have to let the potter's hand come down and reach us. But we have to step forward into that covenant and we have to receive. And if you don't think that you're good enough, that's why he uses the word mercy. I love you for the word mercy. I give you what you don't deserve, which is grace. And I don't give you what you do deserve. You do do deserve hell, but I gave it to Jesus on the cross and I give you heaven instead. That should give us of the utmost confidence that the relationship is doing one thing and one thing alone, pulling us towards his love. That's it, that's it. And so we have to be very careful when we judge others because we need to be start judging people on this particular way. We're coming from a position of mercy and compassion. We need to look at other people in a position of mercy and compassion because you could be judging the person that God is calling for his purposes. And you missed the point. That's why it says in verse 25, look at this. I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Can you look around the world today and go, those are definitely not God's people. Can you imagine God nudging you as you're sitting there and go, oh, look at those guys. So weird. So, oh. I'd never invite them over for dinner, and Jesus nudge you and go, "They're coming over for dinner. We're going to do so much ministry, and then you guys are going to start a home group together. It's great." And you're like, "What? are you, What are you talking about? The people that you are not your loved ones?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to call them children of God, and when they hear the voice, they're going to come." How dare us get in the way of God's judgment? How dare us get in the way of God's selection? We should be in the same place to go, Lord, just like the angels. You know, as soon as somebody gives their heart to the Lord, there's a party in heaven. That's what we should We should be waiting for many, many parties all over the city of Sebastian. Because you could just go up and down US 1 and go, yep. Can't wait till God gets a hold of you. Can't wait till God gets a hold of you. And you know where I'm talking about, up and down US 1 there. Verse 27. (laughs) Yeah, you guys, some of you guys got it. Yeah, you know, I didn't didn't say any places. I didn't say any places. (laughs) Uh, Verse 27, quickly moving. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of Israelites will be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. And that's the faithful remnant to God. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah had previously said, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. You know, every single person is here standing um, regardless of your past, regardless of your situation, because God hasn't given up on you. If God abandons us, if God leaves us, we are just like Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet still we are here. It reminds me of Psalms eighty-six fifteen. I love how this verse lays it out. This is a David. Now, you know David, even though he was the apple of God's eye, he had some sin in his life. Look at how he writes this. But you, Lord, are compassionate and a gracious God slow to anger, abounding love, and faithfulness. I think about Jesus Christ being rejected by Pharisees on the cross, and yet he still died for them. Still died for them. Look at verse 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? because they pursued it not by faith, but as if by works. And they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so Paul has done a great job of quoting two Jewish people, the book of Isaiah and the book of Hosea, right? Right? And he said, God is going to call the Gentiles. God came to save everybody in the world. That's the entire Old Testament. It will come through the nation of Israel. But the reason why nation nation of Israel has failed is because they stopped preaching the light of God. They had become a closed off people. They become an isolated people. And they became isolated because they became self-righteous. So they saw the world not with merciful eyes and not with the compassion that we would see on the cross. They saw the world as this blessing is for me. But Christians, we should not be a dam that backs up all the blessings of the Lord. We should be an infinite fountain of that the Lord pours into us and we burst out of this room and the blessings flow out into the world and that everybody that lacks and everybody that needs goes, can I have a little bit of what you're having? And go, you can have a lot. His name is Jesus and he's forever. And that is what he's pursuing right here. He's saying there's a lesson to be learned here. The Jews had been gifted God's righteousness and they missed it. They missed it. You know how many times in the book of Isaiah, people were in church, meaning they were in the temple. The worship was going. The sacrifices were going. Everybody's doing a good word. Everybody's happy. And God says, I don't want any of it because your heart isn't in it. You've you've lost me. You've come here to do a performance. You know, I think about this one moment. Um, I used to uh, mow just the front lawn for a while are you guys laughing? <laughs> it's like, it was a quick laugh. Uh, I did a mow in the front lawn because I was tired of my two neighbors coming out and going, huh. and so I mowed the front lawn, but I didn't mow the back lawn because nobody saw back there. But yet, that was the place where all the calamity was, because I'm going to let you know something, as I let it overgrow, it got all up into my air conditioning unit. Snakes were back there. Everything was crazy. When I finally mowed it, it was a work. It was a work. And then I saw my neighbor who always looked at my front lawn on his back porch. And I finally saw him like this. And I was like, so he knew anyways. He knew anyways. You see, we can't come into church and think that we're doing a good job because we put on a good show because the front lawn looks good. Jesus is concerned with the whole house. The whole house is his and the whole house is claimed by him. Think about this. God has you twice over. I just, we spoke on this in our midweek Bible study. First, he created you. And then you ran away from him and you were lost and you were a prodigal and then he redeemed you. So twice over, he has claimed you. And as his claim, he goes, you know what? I don't want this to be an overrun lawn. I want this to be a place fit for a king. And then I want people to see that because it's fit for a king, that they would come here and want to be at the audience of the king. Is your heart the throne room of a king and are people ready to receive Jesus Christ from the outpour of your heart because Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning there? That's what an obedience has to look like. Obedience has to be not a particular thing that we show God and we go, look, my righteousness, my righteousness comes from me. No, we say my righteousness comes from Christ. We don't get to heaven because look what I did. We get to heaven because look what Jesus did. When we get to heaven, we get to the gates. I don't even know if it works like this. It's not gonna be a situation, but no one's gonna be like, can I see your Calvary Chapel card? Can I see your voter registration card? Ooh. Uh, Can I I see what kind of TV shows you watch? No, he's gonna say. Did you know my son? And was did you love him? That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. That's a free gift to you. And not a result of work so that nobody can boast. Do you know there's going to be one thing that we shout in heaven and it'll be like we did worship today. It's all because of you. Not one person is going to take a moment of pride. Let's think about that. All my failure on earth will be left because I'll be standing in the victory of Jesus Christ in heaven. And as we close, i want to put one last verse up here. It says, 1 John 4, 7. This is what John reminds us. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever love has been born of God and knows God. If you are in this room today, and you were born again. You were born again because of love, compassion, and mercy. Does the world know you as that? Does the world know the church Is that? Not all the time. I'm just going to remind us as a recap before we're going to take a special moment and we're going to pray together. That Paul was a great, a great man, but his greatness came from the Lord. And he loved his people, he loved his country, and he was heartbroken to know that they had turned their back on God the very God that blessed them, right? He was very heartbroken that they would pursue self-righteousness over God-righteousness. But think about how Paul responded. His response was, and I love how he says it here, it's very challenging to me, but he takes on the heart of his Savior, doesn't he? He said, I would become cursed if it meant your righteousness. That's a very challenging place of mercy and compassion. I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I struggle with that. But I know what God did for me on the cross. And so I move my heart into that position and I begin to pray like that. And we think about this. Why did Christ come down to this world? Love and compassion. That's it. That's it. If we love Christ and Christ loves us, then understand that we are a people of compassion. We are saved by compassion and we are compelled by compassion. And we are the children of God's mercy. So we're gonna do something very special tonight in preparation for national Uh, day of prayer tomorrow. We're going to do something just like Paul. We're going to pray like Christians who love our country and want God to bless our country, not just the people that make us feel comfortable, but also the people that make us feel uncomfortable. We're going to intercede for everybody tonight. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Pastor Ryan to come up, and he's going to do a special prayer for us tonight, and he's going to pray Um, over our country. We're going to have two other people come up today. But as he's praying, would you do the same? There's people that God has put on your heart. There's people that you have struggled with. Would you just start praying with us together as we pray for all the people that Jesus Christ has on his heart?
1: Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we come to you tonight to pray for our country, to pray for our government and our leaders. What we pray for is that you become the center of all our decisions and you become the focus of all of our goals. As our leaders make decisions about policy and and the laws that will govern this nation, we ask that you grant them a loving, forgiving, just, and charitable heart. Help them see your plans in all they do. We ask you to give each one of our elected leaders the wisdom to make the right choices, not for a political party, but for us as a nation. Father, we also ask that as we seek to be a Christian nation, may our actions as a nation reflect the will of your Son. May all we do seek to protect the lost, the poor, the hungry, the outcast. May we pursue justice, fairness, and be a bright spot in this world. Father, we also ask as our country looks forward to the future that we come together and we use your teachings to guide our steps and to plan our future course. Father, you've blessed this nation. Each one of us has been blessed and touched by your hand. We thank you for all you've done for us, and we ask that you continue to protect us and guide our future, future steps as a church and also as a nation. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: I'm going to ask uh, for Pastor Craig to come up. Um, just remember, this isn't Pastor Ryan's church or Pastor Craig's church. This is your church. And so we're going to participate in this prayer together. Um, Pastor Craig is going to pray over our community.
2: Yes. I have the privilege of playing, praying over our community. And I love to pray through the scriptures. And I just want to read uh, Hebrews uh, 10, 24, and it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then Galatians 6, 2 says, we are to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, loving one another. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight to Allow your Holy Spirit to teach us. And Father, we want to lift up our community right now. There are so many things going on in our community, and I just ask that you would stir the hearts of everyone here, that we would have hearts that would see what you want us to see, receive what you want us to receive. Father, we lift up our schools, our administrators in our schools. We lift up our first responders. We lift up our elected officials, Father. And we pray that they would love one another, each and every one of us, that they would show compassion. That if there are any crooked paths that they need to be straightened, Father, that you would go before them. We come before you praying in expectation of the mountains that you will move. We pray these mountain-moving prayers because you're the only one that can move those mountains. We come before you as your children crying out. And we know that you hear each and every one of us. So Father, I pray for unity within our community, for each and every person, that they would love their neighbors as themselves, that they would love you above all things, Father. And that we would keep our eyes focused on you and above the circumstances that happen within our community, that the only thing we see is Christ and his love. And that we are compassionate people, with the Holy Spirit flowing through us like a river, a flowing river, so that people would want to take a drink of that flowing, freshing water. And Father, may we continue to be that beacon on the hill, that people would see that light shining bright, and they would ask the question, what is it? And we would have the answer, it's Jesus Christ. So, Father, we lift up our community and ask your blessings be with them. Everything that goes on here is in your hands, and we commit it to you, and we pray in expectation of what you will do, and we ask that you would help us to be more aware of your presence each and every day. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. All right, and so finally, we are going to pray um, for the church, and not just this particular church, but all the churches, and we've seen revival breaking out in certain places. And Lord, we just want to pray that you know, revival breaks out. So I'm going to ask Miss Janet to come up and she's going to pray um, a good word over our church. Please join Miss Janet and the rest of us as we pray over the church.
3: We've got lots of Bibles up here, must be a church. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 15, but speaking the truth in love in all things, both our speech and our lives, expressing his truth, let us grow up in all things into him, following his example, who is the head Christ, from him, the whole body, the church, in all its various parts, joined and knitted firmly together by what every joint supplies, when each part Is working properly causes the body to grow and mature building itself up in unselfish love may I just indulge me for a minute so I can just tell you a little story (laughs) there was a an older lady many years ago before the advent of internet (laughs) her only uh, contribution to the church that she told me that she had was that every day she would go into her room and she would open up her newspaper and she would pray for everything. And she was apologizing for doing that. I said, Oh my gosh, you're probably the most important person in the church. <laughs> You're actually praying. (laughs) So my heart is that all of you understand that even if your only job is to get in front of your phone or your tablet or your newspaper if you're old school and pray. These are all your neighbors. These are who we're going to be spending eternity with. Yes. So we want to lift up the body of the Lord today. We are his bride. And we need to examine our hearts to see if we are his bride. So if you don't mind, today, tomorrow, the next day, and every day, for the rest of your life, commit, like this lady, to pray. Pray for his body. It's important. Mighty Jesus, Lord Father, we just come to you. We pray in Jesus' name. We ask you, O oh Lord, to glorify your church, to glorify your name, to glorify the name of your Son. Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us to be the bride of Christ, that here in this place, as we each examine our hearts, as we move forward in love and compassion, not only for the people who are in this church, but for the body of Christ at large in Sebastian and in Indian River County and in Brevard County and in the state of Florida. Father, I ask that we will look and see people all around that are hurting and need help. Father, help us to see them through your eyes. Ask us, O Lord, to, to take on assignments, Lord, to help others, We want to be your church. We want to be those who love you, those who want to know your way, who want to know your heart, who grieve at the things that grieves you, and who hate sin, Lord, like you do. We want to walk in your way. We want to be a holy people, O Lord, that walk after your heart. Touch our hearts, O Lord. We ask, O Father, that you would just bless every person that comes to worship, that comes to fellowship, that comes to learn about you, we ask, O oh Lord, that you, for every person that teaches a class and teaches little ones, bless those little ones, Lord, and let them grow up to be the ones who are soul winners, O oh God. I ask, Father, for those youth that are in there, let the Holy Spirit burn with fire in their hearts. Father, for our pastors and leaders, supply everything that they need, O oh God. They are, they have a very... Uh, important job before you and in this church Lord and they are the servants of all of us strengthen them and their families oh God father you know what we need father we ask that you would make us into your body father I ask too that you will help us to have ears that don't want to hear any trash we don't want to hear any gossip we don't want to hear any backbiting any complaining Lord, silence our mouths when we do that. Father, I ask that you would just help us to say words of encouragement, that those things that you love and are in your heart will come through ours. Lord, we are your children. We're your servants and your handmaidens, O oh God. Touch our hearts, O oh Lord. Make us new every day, every moment. Move in our lives, O Lord. Help us to change the world, Lord, before you come. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name and for his
0: glory. Amen.